Section 4 of The Dial, Number 1, edited by Charles Shannon and Charles Ricketts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. The Great Worm by John Gray unaffected beast that he was the great worm lived in quite the sort of place where one would have gone to look for him somewhere in the belly of one of those mountain ranges in central asia with a name as ragged as its silhouette when taking exercise his manner was to climb rather than walk along the ground in undisguised worm fashion when to a distant observer it seemed that not only was his skin loose from his muscles but that his four short crooked legs and his two little wings were stuck about his body quite promiscuously he was perfectly satisfied with his natural colours white and gold nor did the vain ambition to be painted green like other worms even so much as enter his head he did not snort lightning and none but honeyed words ever left his gentle lips he came into the city one day choosing his steps most carefully so as not to derange public edifices and threading himself through triumphal arches with marvellous dexterity he inquired his way to the palace and when he reached it he found as will readily be believed that the entrance was too small to admit him not being pressed for time he stretched himself out the full length of the terrace with a part of his tail hanging over the battlements meanwhile the traffic of the city had adroitly diverted itself into the suburbs when the worm had lain some time without any special manifestation one of the doorkeepers of the palace acting under orders which he obeyed implicitly out of deference to the military spirit of his age galloped up to his ear and asked what does my lord require the worm took no notice of the doorkeeper but continued to smile because of the warmth of the sun's rays what do you want here the horseman repeated in his other ear he replied without impatience that he had called to see the prince but as the doorway was not large enough for him to enter he was going home again presently when he had warmed himself whereupon the horseman wheeled about and trotted into the palace his lance twenty feet long quivering erect in the air soon there was a great din of brass and wailing of reeds piercing screams which were words of command rang within the wall to which noise was added the clatter of many hoofs this demonstration intended to impress the worm was misjudged for it might have been performed on his chest without disturbing him at a distance from which one could get a general view of the visitor layers of carpet were thrown down and unrolled one upon another until a comfortable surface was attained sunshades were then arranged to throw a deep shade upon a black velvet cushion streaked with gold on which the prince was deposited after the chamberlain with customary politeness had scattered a few priceless diamonds upon it 
the worm cast an occasional glance on these preparations from over his eyebrows for he was lying on his back with the crown of his head towards them speak worm shouted an officer thou gold worm he isn't gold remarked a philosopher i come he answered my lord to enlist in your royal armies yes he is only he's out of repair ah ha is that so you long animal said the distinguished prince as his vizier held his lorgnon in position ha let me see yes he went on as he was raised and supported over to the recruit the worm still remained lying on his back for he had an exceedingly long tongue which enabled him to kiss the royal hand without altering position the regulation suit of armor and supply of weapons for a private of the militia had meanwhile been brought this blunder greatly incensed the prince who had mentally appointed the worm commander-in-chief in accordance with this decision he directed the supply of a silk-lined suit of armor tested weapons and a body of attendants to look after them when the senior officers of the staff heard this order their hair curled behind where their master could not observe it stay though would you prefer a horse or a camel general the worm hesitated to reply for apart from the perplexity of the question two rival recruiting sergeants on the far side of him were trying to elicit his age and whether he was married seeing his embarrassment the prince explained that a horse wore the plume above his head while a camel wore it under his chin of course the worm at once decided to have the former cough said the surgeon major <coughs> ever had the medical officer interrupted a philosopher ought to know that the general could not have attained his present rank <coughs> ever had measles <coughs> if he had not already answered these questions satisfactorily will the philosopher mind his own business is the carpenter in attendance asked the prince while the vizier obtruded the lorgnon for his master to scan the court <coughs> the horse was now led up its shiny coat purple in the sun the worm admired the strings of beads with which it was decorated and the bridle straps crusted with gold but oh the plume that was the best of all so pleased indeed was he with it that he begged one for his own wear no he ain't whispered a philosopher no he isn't i suppose you mean answered the surgeon major in the tone of voice habitual to him when he thought of the gallows the medical officer was examining his ankle with a vexed countenance as a scribe wrote out for the worm a coupon for the annual grand cross lottery by way of a quarter's salary in advance this would have ended the formalities had not the court poet found an opportunity to commence reciting the worm's military antecedents is that that man again asked the prince i abolish the office the laureate ceased at this time 
most of the tribes on the outskirts of the principality had already forgotten their allegiance or but faintly remembered it the prince thought therefore that he would send his new general marching round his dominions with an expedition to freshen the memories of these subjects the worm found that he had scarcely to show himself to the first rebel he came across the news of his march spread like overflowing water an army of worms said the panting messenger is approaching what colour white i think with pink banners and the news fled past leaving the municipality to hurry home and prepare with all haste flattering memorials and presentation caskets of odious workmanship then when he arrived a few days afterwards the worm would find a head citizen shivering at the extremity of a strip of red carpet leading from the city gate beckoning to others within the walls to come out and support him thus the army left everywhere peace and order with its hoofprints daily growing deeper with the weight of presence the dromedaries had to bear what is the name of the green city yonder was a question that ran round the camp one morning no one could tell in fact it had scarcely been sighted when white curtains dropped before it and obscured it from view as the day advanced the curtains were found to be composed of graceful white beings for the vanguard saw them swing in the air stand upright stretching their arms and craning their necks to the sky then sink again in repose where the white host parted its ranks glimpses were caught of the superb details of the city its columns of silver domes of emerald and minarets at length when these white folk rose up and departed in sheets like morning mist want as he was to see living things fly at his approach their disappearance caused the worm no surprise he still preserved his steady oscillations regular as the wheeze and thud of a steamer's engines and so manipulated that his train could follow him without difficulty the soldiers thought to have reached their destination in a few hours but at noon when they threw themselves down on the ground for a halt overcome with a fierce heat the splendid city had faded to a milky blue so like the colour of the sky that its contour could scarcely be traced the wary animals and men trudged on scarcely hoping to reach the city that day always watching the changing blue it is a city of gold said some its minarets are topped with amber no it is all of amber but at evening no one doubted any longer all saw plainly that the city was upheld by silver columns trunks of the birch its battlements daring minarets in the shape of palms towers like the cypress domes like masses of foliage golden all in the setting sun within its streets were streams and lilies grew along the roadside but curious to say not a soul was to be seen about the worm began to fear he had pushed his conquering way too far and that at last he was before a city whose inhabitants were not even interested in worms far less afraid of them 
However, he drew his army up in line and banged all his cymbals, at which clouds of birds arose, screeching as they crossed and circled. Presently, he saw come gliding out from the colonnade a figure of silent whiteness. She passed over the rippled gold around the city, smoothly as her chariot upon the highways of the city. Her body had the undulations of a pod, ripe, swollen to bursting. Her breasts were like mounds under moonlit snow. Her hair, gold as corn at noon, was prodigal as a waterfall, and her eyes were like pansies. Her tiara, wrought of blue lichens and down of the night moth, was crowned with dainty fronds. Straight she came to the general, gliding ever, gave him the flower she bore in her hands, then turned about and passed away as she had appeared. The worm stuck the lily in one of the scales upon his breast and briefly gave order for a camp to be pitched. Strange sounds that night made the frightened soldiers start from sleep, and the pale sentinels saw their leader writhing round and round the city, ploughing deep furrows as he went, and heard him moaning in the cold moonlight. Why am I a worm? Ah, it was too horrible. He remembered that he had been human. Next day the march was resumed, but not many mornings from his departure from the city of the white child, the worm sank down, a corpse, and the lily upon his breast, it had taken root there, and beads of his heart's blood smiled on every petal. Epilogue A poet lay in a white garden of lilies, shaping the images of his fancy as the river ran through his trailing hair. But in his garden, a long worm shook himself after sleep, forgotten his face like a pearl, his beautiful eyes like a snake's, his breathing hair, all. He had complete reminiscences of a worm, and sought the deserts and ravines the dragon loves. John Gray End of Section 4 The Great Worm 